Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's a great way to check out tickets. If you're going to USC Notre Dame this weekend, the cheapest tickets they have on SeatGeek right now, $73. They'll show you the best deals depending on where you want to sit. And they will search multiple ticket sites and grade every ticket based on value that will help you immediately identify the best seats that will fit in your budget. Best of all, my listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk a little, I guess, USC Trojan football. There's only one game left. In the 2018 regular season and entire season for the USC football team because they're not going well. We'll see. Maybe we don't know that yet, but <laughs> potentially not bowl eligible depending on what happens this weekend. I want to jump the gun. Sorry, that was that was I didn't even do that on purpose. Uh, <laughs> that's just where your mindset is now. If that gives you any idea, it's maybe the weirdest start uh, to the podcast ever. Keely, you are in studio. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Is there a game this week? I don't even know. There's just madness surrounding this team and program. There is madness. Uh, There is a game. And we also have Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. Howdy. Uh, We do have a game. Yeah. And this is weird. This is a weird start. I've never started the show like this, but we will. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in. We had a really fun show on Sunday. I had Sir Eric of Troy, who's a big uh, longtime listener and a lot of positive feedback. So uh, maybe we'll try to do some more fan interaction uh you know keely seems all about that that's good no it's fun i mean we need to get a little different perspective it just happened to be on the craziest day of podcasting because of the uh the loss to to ucla spoiler alert usc did lose to ucla if you haven't watched if you t-vote it and you didn't go back and watch usc did lose so we're going to talk about that a little bit we're going to talk about the future of the program maybe notre dame coming up this weekend if you have any questions or comments uh podcast at usc football Dot com is the uh, email line. You can also text us or send us a voicemail. That number is 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio or Google Play or Audio Boom, all that kind of stuff. We're, we're all over the place. And leave us some positive feedback for the podcast. This is, I think, our 11th football season doing it. We've been doing it a really long time. And uh, we, got, we appreciate all the listeners. It's great that you guys come and listen to the show. Uh, every week or multiple times a week when we've been doing a lot of shows and I'll just, we'll probably slow down a little bit after, after the season that has a potential bowl game, you know, uh, I'm saying that because USC is five and six, they get one more win. They can go bowling. So that would be good. Um, but we, we have a interesting show for you today. we got a bunch of questions. We, uh, got some voicemails that were like 
plus three minutes, like three minutes and then roll over to another three minutes. But I'm going to play you one of them at the end of the show from our buddy Jeff, the math teacher. So stay tuned. I'm just going to play that. It was a three minute, kind of ended at three minutes, his second time through. Uh, but I want to play that for you. That was actually a Sir Eric of Troy um, idea where if it's a kind of a long voicemail, we could just kind of play it at the end of the show. Uh, so I'll do that so you guys, guys can listen to that. Um, we'll, we got some other voicemails and some texts and stuff. But man, uh, you guys were there. I was uh, just watching this one on my couch and tweeting and listening on the radio and stuff. But what start with you, Keely. What was your, your reaction uh, from the Rose Bowl? Yeah, it was definitely rough. I, for some reason, didn't expect USC. Once I saw how they were playing, I didn't really expect USC to win. Is that weird? I mean, I didn't really have service on my phone throughout the game. But once I got on Twitter, it seemed like people were still expecting towards the end USC to win. But the way they were playing, it was just not going well. And it's just, I think it's indicative of the season as a whole. You know, Dan and I talked about instant analysis. It's just not a well-coached team. You know, the problems that plague this team um, the whole season was evident in, in the fourth quarter and throughout the game. And, and the most challenging thing for me is to see the USC team before the fourth quarter starts get up and start dancing and, and having Ooh. this big, you know, swagger, this fake swagger with no real, no real bite to it, you know, to then get run over by Josh Kelly in the fourth quarter. It just, it's kind of indicative of this team of they're going to talk a lot, but they can't really back it up. Yeah. The fake, the fake swagger did was not a good look. Uh, what about you, Dan? What were your thoughts? Well, I think it's interesting what Kelly said about didn't think this team was going to win. They were playing a two and eight team. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't think they were going to win. What does that say about where this program is? I mean, and yeah, the, you just wanted to cover your eyes when they started all the dancing stuff. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, is it as bad as the Alabama entrance? I don't know. But <clears throat> it's right there. I mean, it's just uh, no class whatsoever, no understanding. They were up, you know, you weren't up seven points. You were up, you know, six or whatever it was, 27-21. And you, of course, didn't score again. And you didn't get a chance to do any more dancing because you already did your dancing instead of playing. You know, I mean, I, that, that was disappointing beyond belief, uh, I would think. And, and I, I will say this, the more you watched that game, the more you said, you know what, UCLA deserves to win this game. They've come a long way. They've gotten a lot better. Their kids are, you know, they got tough kids. They don't have a lot of them, they don't, but, you know, it was one of those ones where you said, man, if only USC's kids could be like those guys. And what does that tell you when that's what you're thinking? And then you're going to have that same thought again this weekend, maybe? Huh. Not, that's the bad news about playing your arch rivals. Almost no one in the country has two arch rivals. And you get to play them back to back. And there's really, you know, good news when you get to do that because you could end, you know, stronger than you could ever hope for. Or the bad news is, you know, you look at two teams that are obviously on the upswing and getting better and tougher and playing hard. And then you look at USC and you say, what is this? Yeah. Uh, I, I felt the same thing, Keely, about I looked at the team and I'm like, I don't think they're going to win. Like, uh, if USC came out to like a 14 nothing lead and okay, their athletes are just going to win this game. Yeah. I felt, but when they didn't, then you're like, 
I knew like from the first quarter, I was like, yeah, they're not going to win this game. I'd like the yeah. same feeling. It's weird. Yeah, it was a weird gut feel. Um, but it's interesting because Dan called it from the beginning. If you go back to instant analysis during the week, he said this is a two and eight UCLA team that is on the upswing, you know, and if they beat USC, even if they're three and eight, this is a win for the for the season, Huge for the win. program. And I mean, look at the turn of events Saturday and then Monday with the Rams. The story is the Rams is the, the team of L.A., Chip Kelly and UCLA are on a turnaround, and then now USC is a dumpster fire. You yeah. know, it's it, the narrative has switched so much nationally in the past like seventy-two hours. It's it's big, and Dan called it from the beginning. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing you got to think about: Clay Helton was twenty-one and zero in Los Angeles with a Rose Bowl win, and uh, you know, win over UCLA at the Rose Bowl, and now he's zero and three in Los Angeles. The last three games USC's played in Los Angeles under Clay, they've lost. All three upsets. All three to teams that have no business beating USC. I mean, how do you go from 21-0 and 0 to 0-3? Uh, that's, it's, you know, you just, it's unacceptable. If you uh, look, go back and go, you know what? So UCLA's going to play USC. Obviously, they're an underdog. We're going to take uh, Todd Gurley and put him on UCLA's team and see like, oh, yeah, he might run for nearly 300 yards. Or are you going to say, we're going to take an FCS running back who really didn't do much at UC Davis and transfer him into UCLA. Oh, he's going to run for nearly 300 yards. Like, he looked like it was Todd Gurley out there. I don't know. What what the heck was that? And this is a guy who lost his starting job earlier in the year, a kid from Fresno, who when they played Fresno State, didn't even get in the game earlier in the year. He had to win his job back over a bye week. I mean, it's just... He's I mean, from like Lancaster again. or something, right? He's like north of here, but not. I don't think he's all the way to the Central Valley. Is oh, isn't he all the way to Fresno? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, sort of a, it's, it's that direction. You know, it's like from... from <laughs> yeah. It's north of here. <laughs> it's like really an bad. hour, two hours, three hours north of here. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, he's a great... I mean, he's a super smiley kid, great kid. And uh, oh, I mean, you're, you're happy for someone like him that grew up a UCLA fan, had one FCS offer, you know, one division, one double A basically offer. Wow. And, you know, for him to be starring for UCLA, he said, you know, it's not like he's come out of nowhere. He's had, well, he had earlier, but that's like his fifth or sixth, like hundred yard rushing game this year. Seventh, I believe. Seventh. Okay. I mean, so he's, he's yeah. done some things, but never anything like this. Never. You wouldn't expect him to have, you know, 125 yards. Like, yeah, that's, I, I could see that. Almost 300 yards, like the most mm-hmm. ever that anyone from UCLA has ever rushed against USC. That but seems. Are they going to have to put an asterisk? I think they're going to have to put an asterisk in the record book because UCLA lined up in some formations <laughs> that USC hadn't seen. So, how in the world are you supposed to tackle a guy when you just really don't know where you're supposed to line up or whatever? I mean, it's just come on, that's not fair. And even then, even though Clay Hilton said that, I went back and watched Clancy Pendergast scrum. He asked, he was asked multiple times, did they show you things that you hadn't seen? He's like, no, we saw that. We saw that. Oh, really? he, he, yeah. And he said, they even, he even did some of that when he was with the Eagles. So Clancy was like, yeah, we saw it. <laughs> we just. Well, I mean, I think the difference was they did it some other games, but they did it against USC and it worked so well. And that's one of the things about Chip Kelly. If it works well, he's going to keep doing it. And it was working as you know well as you could possibly hope for anything, and so he kept doing it. I mean, of course they haven't done it in other games because it didn't work that well, but against USC, whoo. Well, 
We probably don't need to talk about that game anymore. But the, you can gotta, I can I make one more complaint oh, about course. this game? Yeah, I, sure. I don't know why. I and I probably sound like get all my long kind of curmudgeon, but you're 22 or something. <laughs> you're not or 23. I'm 23. Okay. Um, but I just coming off the Cal game where you lose, you lose so in such a small margin. You have Iman Marshall make that boneheaded play, drawing at the sideline. Too much swagger coming into that game. Of course. Clay Helton played it up that Biggie apologized to the team. It was a learning lesson, blah, 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 blah. And then you come into this game, and like I said, they're doing the whole swagger dancing thing. And then you have Brandon Peely throwing punches. It's like, I don't, it's just, it's such an embarrassing, undisciplined performance. I just, yeah. it's just such a bad look for the program. When you know a bull bid's on the line. He, he only know. got in one more play, though. You know? Right. I mean, they, they made him stand by Clay. Most of the rest of the game, except for that time they put him back in. Yeah. <laughs> that's where, too, like, he should be out or not. I mean, I don't know why you'd play one more play. Like, that, that just kind of shows, like, look, you're either out or play, you know? Yeah. I don't – if you're only – that's just such a half-assed kind of way to do it. Like, one more – you can you play one more play, I don't get it. But, yeah, and I don't get – I was on – I think it did, like, the Pac-12 uh, morning show the other day, and, like, do you get why people try to punch other people on the helmet? And I, you know, I never do. I don't ever understand that. Um, it doesn't seem very smart. Like, well, when you do it right in front of the officials, it's like so not smart. It, it, I mean, you're already not smart by hitting, you know, the no. guy with the face mask or the helmet. But then, you know, you doubly dumb down when you do it in front of an official. I mean, it's like, good lord. I mean, you if you're in a back alley and some guy's wearing a helmet, I would not punch him in the head. You know, like I'm just not like hey, nobody pull watching. the helmet off. You grab it, you pull it off. <laughs> then you hit him with his helmet. Yeah. But you don't hit the helmet. You know, I've learned never oh, to be in an alley with Dan. Now he knows the moves. He'll pull the pull the helmet off. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, I guess we can uh, move on to some some questions. I'm sure there's some upbeat things to, to talk about, Keely. So upbeat. You want, to, um, you want to start? I, got, sure, I have, have a few voicemails, but you can start with them. We have a question from George in Oxnard who says it's a kind of a shoulda, coulda, woulda question. He says, there are tons of things that Clay Helton has done and not done to put this team in a sad situation, but can you pinpoint to one key thing? Fill in the blank. If Clay would have only blank, this team would have been so much better off this season. I just think if they would connect how they practice with what they want to do in games and the fact that if you can't do it in practice, if you don't do it in practice, if you don't scheme it, for example, if you say we're going to have a freshman quarterback, 18 years old, we need to be able to run the ball for him. You know, uh, then that's all you do in spring ball. And it's all you do in August. You make sure that you can run the football. You know, you've got a decent set of receivers, you know you got a kid that can do some special things throwing the ball. All you need to be able to do is be the run-first team you said you were going to be, and you have a decent group of running backs. Then you just make it happen. He couldn't make it happen, didn't make it happen, and here's, here's the result. I think that was the, the crucial failing in terms of a football failing was that inability to be the run first team that they said they were going to be with a veteran offensive line. That was, that was it. You do that. If you could have run the ball with this team, JT Daniels has an unbelievably good year. But when 
the only thing you've got, the only way you can beat people is have JT Daniels throw passes you wouldn't ask Jared Goff to throw. You wouldn't <laughs> ask, I mean, you barely asked Mahomes to throw. Him. And you see what happens. I mean, you know, he's got to make like a hero play every time. And, and the genius fans want to make him the bad, you know, yeah. oh, yeah, JT's the bad. And that just absolutely drives me crazy that they want to blame JT. I yeah. mean, that's just nuts. But, uh, but that was the key crucial flaw in this team this year, and, and that was Clay's fault. You've got to be able, if you're going to talk run first and you know what the situation is, you have to be able to run the ball. They couldn't because they're not tough enough. They don't work at it. They don't practice it. They don't believe in it, and they get away from it. Whereas you saw with UCLA, they didn't get away from it. They yeah. believed in it. They stayed after it, and they made it happen. USC doesn't make stuff happen. They hope stuff happens. They don't make stuff happen. That's the flaw. I think fatal flaw. Along the same lines. So what, let you answer it too, Keely. But I would say, like, really, like I agree with you, Dad. I would say make the change of the offensive line coach before the season. So then it would, even if you bring in Tim Drevno, he's not out of position coaching running backs. It forces you to bring in an actual running backs coach. And, you know, if it's Tim Drevno or whoever, you have someone else coaching the offensive line. And I think you're in a better position to run the ball better this year. So um, that's one, that's one move by not making that you've kind of screwed two positions, the running backs and the, the offensive line. So I think if you make that earlier, you help things out. Well, it's all part of a whole because that's all part of the same thing with the yeah. run game. And so you went from the best running back coach, maybe in the country, in Delane McCullough, to no running back coach, <laughs> basically. I mean, how does that work? That's hard to argue that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with both of you. I think just to go in a different direction, I think maybe being more realistic and being less stubborn, you know, taking what, if you're not going to make any changes to your philosophy, taking what your team is showing you so hey maybe we need to make a change with toa maybe if we're struggling in the red zone we need to kick a field goal against asu against cal and not go for a fake you know make those tough changes that instead of pretending like it's going to be fine if you watch tape (laughs) i mean like hey we're making arm tackles maybe we should tackle harder or focus on actually tackling in practice you know being realistic and not trying to be prideful and stubborn and and be oh it's okay if we watch tape or something like that yeah no that's good yeah like like this week we didn't see uh the little dummies on the tires you know remember the little form tackle i mean it's it's like you know compared to what a lot of teams do it's not much but it's something and some weeks they're there and some weeks they're not and you know some weeks usc tackles people and some weeks they don't uh I think that's a problem. I think what Kelly said about the real, real being realistic. Uh, I think by the end of August, you probably should have practiced the way you needed to practice to know that you weren't going to be able to run the ball with this offensive line. At that point, do you say we go to the Washington State, you know, kind of air raid attack? You got wide receivers. You got a quarterback that can probably throw the ball pretty well. Uh, do you forget trying to run the ball? Because mostly you can't. And do you, do you go very un-USC-like and more Washington State-like? I think that would have been, you'd have had a better chance to succeed this year. You'd have had to admit, we can't run the ball. We aren't going to look like a USC team. Yeah, I might have been, had a better chance. But. Or even taking it further, 
coming into fall camp, we know JT Daniels is going to be the quarterback. So let's make it the decision early, get chemistry with the wide receivers, so that four weeks later when they actually do have chemistry, yeah. they're not like, oh, yeah, that actually was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little spicy today. Fair. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, the quarterback, yeah, the quarterback competition was, you know, and I do think they wasted spring now that we look back at it. They got very little. The one thing I thought they got done that I got, I was pleased coming out of spring. I said, wow, they have two pretty good young centers who can snap it really well. They're going to be in pretty good shape. We don't know what Toa's situation is going to be. And of course, that was of no value at all. It's like that didn't even happen. You know, they're like, you know. Oh, hey, we, we got and, a voicemail, Dan, that I think you're going to love. By my love, I mean you're going to hate. So I'm going to play it. And uh, it's a JT Daniels one. Hey, Ryan, how are you? This is Peter from Scottsdale, Arizona. Enjoy the show immensely. Keep up the great work. And I especially enjoyed Sir Eric of Troy's cameo appearance the other night. Really enjoyed his take on everything. And my question is for Dan Weber. Dan, I uh, appreciate everything you do, and I'd love if you could address the question that everybody seems to be beating around the bush about, because it seems obvious to me that a deal was struck to allow JT Daniels to start immediately. I could sense almost that perhaps Clay Helton's the type of individual that would perhaps get run over by JT Daniels' dad during the recruiting process, because... You know, it's obvious to me Jack here is a better athlete, and I think he's a better leader on the field. Thanks very much, and take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Well, <laughs> it might be obvious to Scottsdale. I guess you got, you know, really good binoculars from Scottsdale to be able to, to discern that. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't think that's, you know, hasn't been the case. I mean, you could have come to spring ball. How good How good did it go in spring ball? Uh, you know, uh JT, it's easy to come up with conspiracy theories about, you know, this and this, whatever. I mean, if you talk, I mean, it took one day of summer throwing to make it clear uh, who had the higher, you know, the the higher upside. I mean, people act like JT didn't throw for 337 yards and two touchdowns Saturday. I mean, come on. Behind that offensive line? Uh, And, you know, for example... Has Tyler Vaughn shown up for the game yet? I mean, I shouldn't say that, but, I mean, that was tough. They were allowing uh, UCLA to basically, you know, tackle, grab, throw down USC's receivers. It's clear the Pac-12 has made it. They don't want to keep calling, you know, pass interference because they're embarrassed. And UCLA took great advantage of that. And a guy like Tyler, as slim as he is, not a whole lot bigger and stronger than he was, it was really tough. So you didn't have many guys to throw the ball to. And uh, I, I thought JT had an unbelievably good game for an 18-year-old. And, you know, oh, he had the one interception, you know, where the ball comes loose as he's trying to throw it away. Uh, but uh, but I, I just, I mean, if you say we have to have an athlete at quarterback because he's going to be in so much trouble, just like Sam was for the last two years, that we better get a guy, you know, who could win, you know, the decathlon because he's going to have to do all that stuff, whether he's a, you know, a great quarterback or not a great quarterback. Uh, he's going to have to, well, I think you need a guy who can throw the ball to play quarterback. Now you have to figure out how can he do that successfully? You can't just say, 
uh-oh, this guy's the best, you know, he got the best wheels, so we'll put him in there because we know we can't block for him. We won't, we'll break down in places where we don't have any idea. We won't be able to run the ball to force people not to be able to come after him and, uh, you know, play the pass all the time. I mean, so, so I, I just think it was, it's unfair to, uh, to go after JT. I just think, uh, he's clearly got the highest, you know, the highest upside. And I think Jack, you know, did a great job. And one of the advantages Jack had was once he was third in the quarterback competition at the end of August, he basically didn't get coached for two months. <laughs> he was on that was his a own. huge boost for him. Yeah, it was a heck of an advantage <laughs> he had because he didn't get reps. He probably didn't listen, you know, get much to do in the quarterback uh, room. Ouch. And then he comes in there and they say, "What can we do with Jack to cut the offense down just to get it exactly, you know, what he can do?" It would have been nice all year if they'd have thought that same thing about JT. Yeah. But they, you know, they, they're asking him to make throws. Literally, you would not be asking Pat uh, Mahomes' kid to, to be making. I mean, it's just, <clears throat> I mean, how did Mahomes do with those uh, hero ball throws? Uh, I mean, first, the first interception of the second half, they take a shot out of the end zone and, and throw it 55 yards or whatever. Well, I mean, that, that wasn't, I mean, JT didn't call that play. <laughs> and they just, you know, launch it. Well, I mean, that's one of those ones that the coach wants to do that. You go ahead and do it. But, uh, but you know, why did you do that? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, or, he, looked, or the, he looked the best <clears throat> in camp, to be fair. You know, he, he was clearly the better quarterback. But yeah. we felt Sears was second, and he ends up being demoted to third. Um, and I like the way Sears played against Arizona State. And I wouldn't yeah. have an issue if they brought him in for a series or two where you let him like run because they don't let JT run. So I don't have an issue with anything like that. And the people that were saying he should have started against UCLA, um, it could have been Matt Fink. Like we didn't even know if Sears got demoted again to third. Like people are saying, oh, Sears is the best. Clay Helton might feel like he's still third. Like he didn't mention who was going to be the, the backup to JT. So even if you didn't play JT, and, and if Matt Fink was ready, that could have been Clay Helton's call to put Matt Fink in instead of Jack Sears, which obviously that's not what the fans wanted either. Well, and then you put Jack in, <clears throat> and you're going to say, okay, well, let's run the option with him. But they haven't worked on it all year. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how do you know the ball's not going to be bouncing around like it did against Arizona State on that one play? I mean, I don't know that, you know, you, you can say both Jack and Matt have better wheels, but they don't really work at it with them <clears throat> in terms of, uh, being really efficient. Uh, I mean, like, I guess the other night, last night, Jared Goff, they had a couple of times tried to run a speed option with him. He, he doesn't do it enough to, I mean, he had the same situation where one defender was able to play him and, you know, the pits back. I guess it was Gurley. Uh, you have to really run that to get it right. And uh, this, you know, I just, they, they haven't approached things well in terms of uh, fitting the offense to the talent that they've got. They haven't been realistic. Keely, again, that's the right word for one of the big problems with this team is the lack of, you know, the inability to be realistic about who you are and what you can do and what it takes to get that done. And, uh, but I just think it's so unfair to take it out on Jack, JT Daniels. That's just not right. I mean, it's just uh, – whether you think there was a deal or wasn't a deal or whatever you think there was, 
And you don't know that. I don't know why, why would anybody say something that they can't possibly know? You know, you can't possibly know that there was some, some deal. I mean, I kind of wish there had been so that they just bring him in and, and he gets all the snaps in August and gets two weeks of, you know, where they're not dividing them up, you know, into thirds. It would have helped. It would have absolutely helped those two, as early two losses. Uh, so if they, if they did cut a deal and they knew it was going to happen, they didn't do a very good job of it, of, of figuring it out, how, how it works. Now you could say, well, so what? That's what they always do. They don't figure it out. But, uh, but it didn't look like, um, they had made an absolute deal. Cause JT should have gotten more, uh, more snaps in, uh, in August and he didn't. Uh, we have a question from Steve in Poway who says, isn't there a school of thought that prospective head coaches would actually rather be hired by a program with hu- huge potential like USC's but that has a losing record and is not bowl eligible? That way, expectations will be reasonable in the first few years. Think Pete Carroll coming in after Paul Hackett, which will allow them some time to build the program back up to where they want it to be. Yeah, I think there are some real upsides to the USC job. I mean, if you're looking at it from the outside, you see all the potential recruits, all the talent that the guys that could take a bus to campus and all of that. So there, there are so many ways you see the history Now you don't see the downside, you know, you don't maybe see, uh, what about the weight program? You don't see what about the nutrition program? You don't see, is there anybody in the recruiting staff now? Uh, you know, you, you may not see, all those things. But if you're a guy on the outside, who's a, an alpha head coach, you're saying, well, I'm going to get that. I'm going to, we're just going to do that. We're going to tell them this is what, you know, so I think a lot of, I think that makes the job actually more attractive. The worse they look, the worse they underachieve, the better you're going to look right away. I mean, if I looked at this USC roster and I were one of those guys, I'd say, yeah, we'll win the Pac-12 for the next however many years. I mean, you know, you just say, we'll go from, you know, worst to first in a heartbeat. Uh, this is the perfect place. So, yeah, I think, I think for a lot of guys, this would be the place to go. I mean, there are, there are about five places in America that if you have the right coach, you can win a national championship. You absolutely, and in USC's case, you will win a national championship, and you have won a national championship. Uh, the four coaches that were capable of it. You could go to a lot of schools in America, be the best coach. Pete Carroll could have gone a lot of places in America and had that run that he had. He wouldn't have won national championships. At USC, he did. That's what the difference is with USC. You have that ability. There are an awful lot of places. You can't even think about that. You know, I mean, we're still not sure if Notre Dame is still in that class or not. But, you know, Alabama's obviously, you know, there. And, and Clemson has come from outside into that, you know, class. And, you know, Ohio State has to be if, if they do the, the job right. I'm not sure Michigan's still in that class. They haven't done it for so long. But USC's in that class. They're in that group of if they have the right coach, they can win a national championship and probably will. Uh, that, that's just, you know, maybe Georgia's in there. Uh, but, again, they haven't done it either. USC's done it. So, um, you know, and, and if you have the right guys, you'll win a Heisman Trophy. And there's just a, a lot of things that USC that nobody else has. Uh, 
other than this, you know, small group. And uh, Texas probably isn't in there, uh, not quite. Oklahoma kind of on the on the cusp of, of being in there. But uh, uh, so I think USC going bad actually is a better uh, 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 draw for some some coaches. I think you, you get, you'd look awfully good next year yeah. at USC. The thing, the, I right would, the thing I would disagree though with Steve is I don't think the expectations would be lower yeah. because they're five and seven. Like, no, they still expect to be, or potentially six and six, maybe seven and six. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but no, the, I don't think the ex- that changes the expectations. You go out and hire a big, yeah, you're going to hire someone. You expect them to come in and, and win because they know there's talent on this team. You basically are looking at that like, oh, just come in and make the talent work because the last coach couldn't do that. But if you do, like, for example, in the last case, if you elevate a, a never-been-a-head coach, uh, Clay Helton, those expectations from the people at USC, the expectations of hiring Clay Helton were he will not embarrass us the way Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian did. That's it. Those were the, that was the number one expectation because of what had happened and the two previous coaches that had to be fired in midseason. Again, they probably were telling themselves, well, we won't have to fire Clay at midseason. Okay, well, that's not a, probably enough of an expectation on a program like USC. Uh, we got another voicemail I'll play for you. Here you go. Hi, this is Richard from uh, Toluca Lake, <clears throat> right after the, uh, the game. Uh, when you lose a game to a fellow who has a transfer from UC Davis and has a career game against USC, and you lose on a 2-8 and eight team, it's time to fire help. Dan Weber talked last week about losing the fan base, and I can tell you from personal experience, my dad and I have been season ticket holders for over 60 years between us. And the way the USC administration, the athletic department, and USC football has treated the fan base for the last three or four years, it's ridiculous. It's unfair. We're done. We will not be next, back next year. I'm going to be watching the games from home. Lynn Swan needs to go immediately, and it needs to have an immediate search for a recruiting process where we get a name football coach. No Lane Kiffin, no Steve Sarkeesian, no Clay Helton, no Paul Hackett. Think about it. Four out of the last five coaches have been fired. They've been mediocre and terrible. Thanks very much, you guys. I enjoy your program, and I would love to hear Dan Weber's comments. Take care and fight on. Yeah, uh, to look like uh, <laughs> you got it. Uh, I mean, for example, the only guy that has been successful is their, was their fourth choice, and they only got Pete because Pete recruited them. You know, Pete wanted to get back into coaching after being out of a, out a year and the first three passed. And so they were left standing, you know, with Pete. So that wasn't a choice. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have anywhere else to go pretty much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I will say this. If we played your voicemail for the powers that be at USC, all you would see is a bunch of people with their hand, their fingers in their ears. They're not listening. They're not hearing you. Uh, they're in a bubble. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing. I don't know if they know you exist. Uh, I, you, you think they couldn't possibly not know. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. 
and maybe it hasn't hit yet. Uh, the number of people, the number of people that have told me they're canceling their tickets for next year. I mean, I can't, I hardly know. They're way more than have said they're getting their, you know, they're renewing their tickets next year. So, um, I don't know if that has, those numbers have hit them yet, but, uh, they're gonna, uh, if they don't, you know, get this moving in the right direction, uh, that there's kind of a, you know, they're sort of stuck as to do we go or do we stay or whatever, uh, tells you that they probably don't have any understanding of what's about to come. Now, maybe last night's game with the Rams made it pretty clear that, uh, that's what LA needs. That's what they want. That's what they respond to. You can't respond. I mean, you could hear just on the, from the TV guys, they were amazed at how exciting and how loud and how, into it people don't give you uh, la fans enough credit they're just more discerning i mean they they want a good product and they got a lot of other options if if the product's not any good but if it's good they will they will turn out they will make noise somehow they figured out how to get all those people into the car i have no idea where they all parked i have no idea how they got there they were there you know early they made noise all night they didn't want to leave that's what you have to do in Los Angeles. And I'm just not sure if the people running things at USC understand that, that it's not just, Hey, we're USC. Do what we tell you. I mean, basically as Ryan pointed out, Lynn lectured USC's fans about how they should be, you know, this is what you need to do. Not what USC needs to do, but what the fans need to do. You need to support us because we're USC, you know, no, do something that, makes it worthwhile, you know, makes fans feel like they want to support you. Not because they owe it to you. They don't. And you're about to find out that people don't think they owe USC anything if USC doesn't, you know, respond in kind. I thought it was interesting Hmm. how there was a thread that started on the Paris holiday about potentially taking out a a whole page ad in the LA Times telling USC to fire Clay Hilton. I mean, would that... At least get some attention. I think the whole embarrassment part is what actually gets their attention. I think it would too. I mean, you know, my wife was very close to the the, the Tennessee Vol Twitter movement and everything that happened when they were upset with how that coaching search was going, and you know, Butch Jones. There was just a huge mess going on there, and that was after a decade of just dysfunction at the Tennessee football yeah. program. But she said it made a difference. You know, having everyone on Twitter, like the the social media stuff too, but. They had actual protests on the campus and it's a, it's a public school. So they could call like representatives. They could call, uh, you know, set state centers and things. So you can't do that at USC, but yeah, if, if heritage hall is a pretty open space, like if you had a bunch of fans there going, Hey, we don't feel like you're listening to us. Uh, you know, we, we want the, what's best for our football program and we don't feel like you're taking it in the right direction. That would get a te- I mean, the LA times would show up and you know, we would show up and we would take pictures and, it would be talked about nationally, like here's the fan base. Now it's not going to be the like the, the pure outrage. It's not like live and die like Tennessee. Well, there, there, and there will be no couch burnings or no. mattress burnings. That will not happen. Okay, so there there, there will be a little more decorum in L.A. But I if Lin Swan tries to walk out of his office to go to lunch and there's like the whole <laughs> lobby is full of people, like he's going to hate that. That's going to be really annoying. Now it yeah. might make him like. I'm going to show them we're definitely not going to do anything. Like he might go the opposite direction, but I think it would, it would make a difference if fans like, I don't know if the USC fan base is going to be like, 
if they're going to rally and do something like that, like Tennessee did. But I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, the other thing is we have a perfect example of USC is not listening to the fan base in the Coliseum renovation. They didn't care. They absolutely said, we're going to do it our way. This is the easiest way to raise this money. This is, you know, we're going to take care of these 23 people that are going to own these uh, suites, and we're going to redo the whole stadium in order to accommodate uh, those suites as close to the playing field as possible, and we don't care. We're going to take away 10,000 best seats of the people who've been there since the 40s. We don't care. We're going to move them. We're going to push everybody around, and we're going to charge you more. And, you know, there's a tone deafness there that uh, don't ever underestimate. Uh, with USC. They've just gotten too big, too successful, and I think too, you know, elitist and too away from, you know, the the folks uh, that really matter. And that's, uh, I just, I mean, that we don't know right now what they know. What are they thinking? What do they understand? I think we all feel like we know what the fans feel like right now but do we know that anybody at usc knows i don't know i i really don't yeah we have a question from another steve he's usc class of 97 he says i'm really tired of clay helton and this usc team being compared to brian kelly and the notre dame team that went four and eight in 2016 Prior to the game against USC, that Notre Dame team lost seven games by a total of 32 points. By comparison, the 2018 USC team has lost six games so far by a total of 61 points, which is an average margin of defeat of about 10 points. They lost by 37 points to just Stanford and Texas. Wouldn't it be a better comparison to help? A better comparison to Helton would be former Oregon coach Mark Helfrich. Both are considered nice guys who had early success largely largely due to sensational quarterbacks who covered up for coaching flaws only to see their their respective programs tank once the quarterback was gone. What are your thoughts? Yeah, good. That's a really good comparison. I I think Oregon is is terrific. Yeah. And, and, yeah, Mark Helfrich, it's, you know, one of those, uh, you know, I'll take your players and, and, and keep them going for a little while. Uh, but then, you know, that time comes and I got to take mine and, and really make it happen. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, the player he, he took, you know, obviously USC took was Sam Darnold. And, uh, you know, once Sam was gone, uh, uh, you know, he could run out of trouble. And, and that, that isn't, you know, happening now. I mean, not that that was a good way to go. I mean, to, you know, predicate, your team on a, a quarterback who can, you know, escape all the problems that, uh, you know, the way you, you, you know, you scheme it up and coach it up. But, uh, yeah, that's a really, I, I mean, I think the Notre Dame, obviously because they're playing Notre Dame this week and Clay was, I think was pretty much the person that introduced the Notre Dame comparison as, you know, kind of, well, you know, they could do it, you know, we can do it. And then, and that is where you you would like to have more opportunity to say, oh, you're going to fire all your assistant coaches the way they did at Notre Dame? You know, and is that what your AD is going to tell you to do? And are you good with that? Is that okay? Uh, and and that's probably not what he really meant. Um, I mean, but it's if you're in the position they're in now, you hold out things like uh, you know, it's similar to Larry Scott saying, well. We may go 12 years with a really bad TV contract, but I think 
you know, Google and Netflix and Amazon and Apple are going to do something about college football, which of course they have no idea is that's going to happen or not, but they hold that out there. Like, so hire me for another 12 years and maybe we'll get a new contract with one of those people who've shown no interest. And, and that's what I think Clay's doing in this case is trying to say, well, Notre Dame did it and now we can do it too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you have another one, Keely? Or? Uh, you can do a voicemail. Okay. We'll do one. We had one last voicemail and then we'll. Hi guys. This question's for Dan. My mom and dad are Texas alumni and a brief history on me. I actually grew up a Texas fan with my last game rooting for them being the Texas SC national championship game because I was a senior in high school and wouldn't get accepted to SC for another month or two. Last night, we took my dad to the Texas-Iowa State game for his 60th birthday, and after watching the Texas defense dominate and suffocate what was supposed to be a pretty good Iowa State offense, it just reminded me of some of the dominant defensive performances during my tenure at SC, where we would also just flatten teams that were also supposed to have pretty good offenses. Also, it couldn't be more clear the trajectory difference between these two teams, with Texas poised to make a playoff run next year, and who knows what they would have done this year if Ellinger hadn't had shoulder issues. Then you contrast that with SC, who is obviously just lost right now. My question is, what will it take to get SC back to dominant defensive performances, and what coaches will be able to do that for us? Fight on, Jason of Longhorn Country. Yeah, Jason, I don't know that, I mean, I think it's, people say, well, is it the defensive coordinator? And I, I think you've got a little more chance to operate on your own if nothing else changes, but you still aren't going to get a chance to do much tackling in practice. Uh, you're still not going to get a go, uh, you know, full go competitively. Uh, you know, you don't have to take people to the ground and all that, but you know, they just, for example, they got beat to the punch Saturday. They just weren't ready. Uh, and that's what we don't know week to week who's ready to play the week before the, you know, the defense was ready to play. The offense wasn't. And, uh, you have to put it all together and it has to all work. You know, the offense has to help the defense. The defense has to help the offense. And and, uh, the offense much of the time doesn't go hard enough, uh, and, and game conditions enough to give the defense the kind of look that you need to, to get to be ready to play. Uh, full speed and they clearly weren't ready to play full speed at any time Saturday I mean they just were beaten to the punch virtually every single uh, every single play and and that's that's happened too much it seems like uh, where you've got a you know a defense that um, you think ought to be able to compete now obviously you've lost four safeties uh, I think Talanoa Hafanga was he might have been the best tackler on this team uh, and then the other really, really good natural, you know, tackler can't get in the game because he's playing the same position as Cam Smith. I mean, it just like they haven't solved, you know, problems. Uh, you know, how do you get him on the field? How do you get, you know, IEA on the field? I don't know. Uh, so he sits on the bench. And if you wanted to, you know, if you had somebody on the USC team, the other day, if you said, who could we get that will take Josh Kelly one-on-one and put him on the ground? He's the guy on the bench for USC, uh, the freshman linebacker from Las Vegas who probably is wondering, what do I got to do to get in a game here? And uh, 
So there's, you know, I think a lot of things going on with that, with, with the defense. I mean, they end up in, you know, situations where, uh, you know, they get, they get a couple of stops and it's like third and eight and it's like, Oh, this is great. And then they drop into a soft zone where they give up 12 yard completions. And you just think, what was the point of stopping them on the first two plays? If you're going to, you know, back off and act like, Oh yeah, we can't let them beat us deep. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not what they're going to do on third and eight, but uh, you just see some strange choices, some strange personnel things. And you do see USC's had some bad breaks in terms of losing Port Augustine and, and Talanoa, who was third string coming out of August, which are other kinds of issues. You just don't know uh, how are they making decisions and how difficult is this defense? I mean, are, you know, are you going to run an NFL defense? where freshmen pretty much don't need to apply unless everybody ahead of them, you know, gets washed out and a guy like Talano gets in the game and then everybody says, wow, kid can really play. Huh? Um, so many issues, but you're right. You can control games with defense. If you don't let the other team in the game, you can't lose. You're not going to lose. I mean, all that, you know, you had one job Saturday was to stop Josh Kelly. They didn't even come close. I mean, one job, one thing they had to do. And uh, it's it, it just not going together well at all. Offense, defense, you name it. Uh, just not uh, not making it happen. And uh, But I, I would like to see them if they start over again with a coach who puts it together on defense. I think that was the secret with Pete Carroll, that you had to work so hard uh, to have success against those USC teams. And, and teams eventually just said, oh, the heck with it. We'll, you know, we'll come back next week, but this is going to be too hard. And, and that's what you have to do, I think, in football, to be at that very, very top level. Obviously, it's what Alabama does every week. You just make, make it clear to the team you're playing, it's going to be way too hard to get done what we hoped we could get done this week. And they're just too tough. But nobody's used the word tough around a USC team for a good while. And I think that's the essence of defense. We have a rant from Rick from L.A. He's a USC band alum. He says, hey, Ryan and crew, Lynn Swan should do us all a favor and fire this clown, meaning Clay Hilton. Even if he does come back next year, who in their right mind would want to work for this guy? My guess is none. It's painfully obvious that Clay lacks experience. Sure, he won a Rose Bowl and a Pac-12 championship. All great things. But we can all admit that Sam Darnold saved this guy's job. Going 5-7 and seven is horrible for a team that has a top 5 recruiting class. We know they're not beating Notre Dame next week. This would be the first time since 2000 when Paul Hackett was coached that USC is not bowl eligible and the sanctioned years don't count. All right, enough of my rant. Thanks for all you do. Fight on. Yeah, I mean, the five and seven, every time you hear somebody say that, it's just, it's so jarring. uh, Or that you're not going to go to, I mean, take a look at the teams that are going bowling, the 78 teams. There's like 65 of them that you just say, what? They're going bowling? And USC's not? How is that possible? It, it, it shouldn't be possible. I mean, that it, it, it just it's it's hard to uh, hard to imagine that this that they've fallen to this place. I mean, the three the, the last three losses in the Pac-12, the the really not good at all Pac-12, uh, 
that you've lost three straight games in Los Angeles to the likes of Arizona State and Cal and UCLA is it's impossible to do that. I mean, how could they have how could they have done that? Uh, and it's 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 a uh, uh, it's a fall that you couldn't have even begun to have predicted how badly this has gone. And yet, you know, there are people saying we're going to be fine. We're in a good place uh, next year. <clears throat> things look really good. We'll have this uh, shiny new uh, Coliseum for all the million dollar donors and uh, everything's going to be great. But unless you happen to be sitting in one of those seats that are blocked by the uh, new tower, uh, it won't be so great, but I'm <laughs> guessing, I'm guessing that's not going to be a problem that they're, they're, they're probably not going to sell all the seats. Uh, next year and uh, tough schedule next year. I mean, they got to get better uh, next year. Uh, You know, the road schedule was tougher uh, all the way through the Pac-12 schedule is probably uh, tougher. Although, you know, USC as crazy as it is, USC beat the best team in the Pac-12 this year and didn't play very well in doing it. Um, So, who knows how you know how this is how this is going to play out? But uh, rant, I think, uh, rant on. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the that ought to be the new motto. The rant new on. Motto. Yeah. Rant on. Rant on. <laughs> we got to email. Although, uh, interesting, it came from a band guy. I always have wondered, what if Art Bartner took over the football coaching job for a week, and 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 uh, Clay got to be the uh, band director. I'm just wondering, would they get Trojans spelled right? Do you think? And uh, would the <laughs> would the football team think, "Holy criminy, that guy's yelling at us! What's going on? He's a meanie." <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just I I would like to do that switch though sometimes and just say, "Art, you can coach them." I've always been curious. Yovan, the water polo coach for men and women's water yeah. polo, he's insane. Yeah. I've watched his practices. Badass, yeah. He is crazy good at his job. And I'm like, what? If you just switch that over, what would happen? Also, we got a, a comment on our instant analysis that said if Clay took over a morgue, bodies would stop dying. <laughs> so people are people are saying like it, it, to Dan's point that they wouldn't ch- spell Trojans. They're Man. not. Him. I know people are really turning against Clay. It's crazy. it's rough. <laughs> We have an email from John in Oakland who says, my question is this. Do you think he, and he didn't specify who, I'm assuming it's Jack Del Rio, wants the USC job because he's angry and embarrassed at what the football team has become or because he wants back into the NFL coaching job circle and the USC job gives him the best chance at rehabilitating his name and image as head coach? My point is this. USC needs a head coach that wants to be at USC. Every previous coach in the history of the program wanted to coach at USC. None had to be convinced. Most of the names being thrown out by fans, Peterson, Whittingham, Franklin, Campbell, etc., are happy and and having success where they are and not looking to move. So if Del Rio truly wants to coach at USC and fix the football program, he might be worth the risk. Thoughts? He's an an interesting call. I mean, I'm not the biggest, you know, NFL proponent, and and, and I know people get it wrong when they say, well, Peter, you know, Carroll was an NFL guy. Yeah, but he also coached at, you know, University of Pacific and Arkansas and North Carolina State and Ohio State. He he'd been a college coach. He coached uh, you know coached in the Rose Bowl against USC. Uh, 
So Pete knew exactly what he was getting into. And his whole competitive nature turned recruiting into, uh, you know, something that Pete loved to do. There are so few NFL guys who would love to come in and recruit the way Pete did. Uh, so it, it gets me nervous a little bit, but, uh, you know, Jack Del Rio, if, uh, if he could d- donate some of the, uh, money that he's going to get from the Oakland Raiders for the next couple of years, the, the $6 million a year, uh, take less from USC and they could put that to, you know, going out and hiring the best offensive coordinator and the best defensive coordinator and the best recruiting coordinator in the country, uh, for, uh, for Jack Del Rio, you know, there, there might be a way of making that work, but you have to have a whole lot of things come together, including really smart people at USC figuring out how to do this. <laughs> and it's obvious that can't happen. You can't have people who have never hired anybody for a you know college job. Uh, they just, I mean, there are things that are happening. It, it, it drove us crazy last year when, when uh, uh, thanks to Ryan, he wanted to ask uh, at the uh, Pac-12 championship game, uh, how did the Pac-12 understand that they were the ones who probably had a big hand in USC not being considered last year uh, as the Pac-12 champs for the uh, uh, place in the college football playoffs because of the Friday night game that USC lost and how every single team who had had to have a short week travel Friday night game after traveling the week before had, had lost. And Larry Scott said, wow, nobody ever said that. We didn't realize, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you just think that's, that's part of the problem. If you don't even know what's going on, everybody on the P knew that was a problem. But the guy making $4 million a year to run the Pac-12, he didn't know that was a problem. Well, you got the same thing. You know, the discuss- if you are on the P every day, you really do understand what the issues are and what the upsides and the downsides and all that. You're not sure if anybody at USC, if they're not reading the P, has any idea what all is going on with that. I mean, I, I just don't know. I mean... I don't know if they know enough to, you know, have the kinds of discussions and considerations that we have on the P. And I'm not just trying to pat ourselves on the back. I just think it's kind of a, the reality of things. We've got a lot of people who uh, who know a lot of things, and everybody comes together, and they bring their point of view and point. And some of them are really dumb, uh, but everybody's throwing stuff out there. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, being considered. A lot of people thinking about a lot of a lot of interesting, smart things. And uh, is that happening at USC? I don't think there's any sign that it is. Yeah. Uh, the one thing on Jack Del Rio, real quick. Oh, sorry, Keely. But no, um, no. just uh, I, you know, you know my rules. College experience, head coach sure. doesn't know the fight song. I've I've said it a thousand times. I could, you could probably talk. There's, you know, there's good things about Del Rio. It, it might work. But I'm just saying, like, this is just kind of what my rules are because USC's done this over and over again. Colorado has a job opening. Would they interview Jack Del Rio? That's not as good of a job as USC. I don't think they would interview Jack Del Rio. UCLA had a job opening last year. Would they have interviewed Jack Del Rio? That tells me the only reason you're interviewing him is because he played at USC. And if that's a huge reason why, I don't think that's the right reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they obviously with Pete Carroll, I mean, they didn't even know to go after Pete. Uh, they, Pete came after them. 
I mean, I think it's possible to have those things work out. Sure, it's possible. Uh, but, you know, how many of those can you, you know, yeah. how many can you draw to an inside straight? You know, you, you may, maybe you do it. But uh, USA's drawn to try, way too many inside straights. You get the a proven college coach at this point. If you if there's an opening, which we don't even know yet, we, you know, if there's an opening, I think you've got to go proven college. That's it. Yeah. No question about it. No question about it. Uh, if money is such a big deal and you can cut a deal with, you know, Delray, I mean, I think you need to uh, go in a different direction first. But you got to go in the right direction second. And that's, uh, I mean, one of the problems that USC had, obviously, with Lane and Sark and Helton was no one trusted anyone to conduct a proper coaching search. And they were right, as it turns out. Uh, so, and obviously, if you go back and look through the 90s and what happened, you know, again, no one at USC knew how to hire a football coach. So that's part of the problem is who would you trust to do the, uh, the search properly? Uh, Ryan, you, me, <laughs> but who, who really at USC yeah. right now do you trust? Yeah. So I took a quick glance at the P while, while you guys were talking about that. The P has already organized enough money to fly a plane over the Coliseum before the Notre Dame game to fly a banner to say fire Helton. Wait, is there, was it like a GoFundMe or There's something? There's a GoFundMe already yeah, up right now. Yeah. They've raised enough money for the plane. Now they're raising money to do the full page ad in the, in the LA times. Brady, Brady McCullough tweeted like, Hey, I hope you guys do it. You know, because he, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Helps the it'll help him. <laughs> I did one just, you know, back in 2002, I flew a plane over the Coliseum. You personally flew it? Personal, not Well, I paid for it. Okay. It was a promotional thing for uscfootball.com, but it said Carson for Heisman because Carson Palmer was, you know, his Heisman campaign. It was like early November, I think. And I said uscfootball.com on it. So you it, were probably two weeks ahead of the USC people. I, I, they hot, weren't. Hot. They really weren't promoting it. And it was like part of the thing. It was like a promotion for the site. And I, I flew that and it made like TV and everything. And back then, I don't even know if I told you guys this before. Yeah. I think I told you before. It cost $250 for like an hour and a half or two hours of the plane flying over. That's all it cost. Like, and oh now it was post nine, post nine 11. So you couldn't like fly it during the game. It was during the tailgating stuff, but you, mm -hmm. cause you're not allowed. You have to be out of that airspace like an hour or 30 minutes or something before the game starts because of the, you know, because of nine yeah. 11. But I, yeah, I did it. And it was like a, I don't know what it costs now. But back then it was only like two hundred fifty bucks. I, you would think there it cost you at least that much in gas. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Completely. Plane, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, holy. It's got to cost a lot more now, but back then it was way cheaper. Apparently, it's two thousand wow. dollars now. Two thousand dollars. I know you got a deal, right? Oh, I got a huge deal. <sighs> Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Uh, the power of the P. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, we have an email yeah, from man. David from behind the orange curtain who says, I'm generally not a fan of conspiracy theories. So buckle up, everyone. But given my frustrations with the inability of USC to deal with the current coaching staff, I've become a bit open to conjectures. 
Uh, so bear with me. One, the USC administration is overrun with Title IX warriors, referencing Dan's taking note of chief threat officer or whatever ridiculous title it was. <laughs> Clay Helton is very supportive of their efforts. Every time they've aim- aimed their guns at a ball player, Helton folded. Hence, they would protect him at all costs. True? Two, the USC administration does not want a successful football program. They see it as a deterrence to their efforts to raise the academic stature of the university. While I believe just the opposite, a strong coach would push the the exposure on the football program and away from their rising academic stature. True? Well, I, I don't know that you have to believe in a conspiracy to believe that those things could happen. Uh, I mean, I think you can do you know, just as much damage by not caring enough about, you don't have to want the football program to go away. You just don't care enough to do the things that have to be done or to allow them, uh, you know, to happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can do that. I mean, Stanford has, has shown that. And, and obviously Notre Dame is, is academic, you know, they're in that same tier uh, with USC in the top 25, uh, you know, academic, uh, you know, universities right now. And, and you, you know, 20 to 25 area, something like that. And, uh, uh, Notre Dame hasn't had to back off their academic, you know, achievements or commitments, but they know how important football is to their identity and their, you know, national, you know, fan base and their national kind of, you know, alumni, uh, unofficial alumni groups and all that, that Notre Dame is not going to back off from football. And, uh, you know, whether they, you know, it, it goes smoothly or not sometimes in the battle between the head coaches and the uh, admissions people and all that. Uh, I think USC just has to recognize how important football is to USC's identity forever. I mean, for the time USC in the 20s became – started to become, uh, you know, a serious, uh, you know, institution of you know, higher education, football and the Coliseum, it all went, you know, together. And it's always going to be together. And USC can't turn its back, I don't think, on uh, on its football tradition that, that created the awareness of, you know, of, of USC and, the, and the, you know, the, the nation. And uh, so I think they could get away from being, uh, you know, promoting uh, football and being conscious of football without a conspiracy that they want to take it down. They just don't understand how they, you know, they're tied into football. Football really matters, I think, for USC. And doing it badly also matters. And um, and you can do it well and still have, you know, great academics and still be proud as heck of, of you know, all of that. But, uh I don't, I'm not a big conspiracy guy. Uh, I think things happen, uh, for other reasons and you can, you, you can, you know, stitch a conspiracy theory together, but, uh, but I think it's mostly, uh, more, uh, not a positive, uh, willingness to take it down, but just sort of a, a turning your back on it and letting it just kind of, you know, drift, uh, which I think is where it is right now. We have one final question, a simple one from Jack from New Jersey, who says, if USC truly has the fourth best rated roster in the country, then you tell me what the problem is. Coaching, maybe? You may, you think? Huh? <laughs> I told you it was a simple you question. Think? Even even in New Jersey, uh, yeah. 
yeah, I think maybe. I, I, I mean, Ryan, you, you know, there's no, but basically the recruiting numbers correlate pretty much with the, you know, the rankings. I mean, you know, you look around and you say those teams that are, you know, the top 25, maybe 22 of them are, you know, well, at least they were, I guess there's some outliers in there now, but basically the, the top recruiting uh, uh, rankings are the top teams in the country. And USC is the biggest outlier by far uh, to be wherever it is, fourth, fifth. However, uh, for it to be where it is, uh, you know, on the football field this year with that roster. Now, obviously, things have happened. You know, 25 guys have washed out of the program. And you got another, you know, how many close to that many who, who don't dress. Uh, so they've lost. There's been a lot of attrition uh, in this USC program. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, it may not be that the recruiting is not there. Although I do think they haven't gotten, whether they've gotten guys with rankings or not, if you look at the offensive line, they're not as good as they, as they were ranked. I mean, they're, they're, they're recruiting star. And I know that, you know, development hasn't happened and maybe the, you know, the strength program and all of that hasn't happened. But just basically, when I look at Washington State's offensive line, and they're probably average two stars, and they're way better than USC's offensive line. They only ask them to, you know, pass protect mostly. But, uh, uh, you know, there's some maybe uh, places where uh, USC's offensive line recruits may not be all that far behind Alabama and Georgia and Clemson, but they're way, way, way behind in terms of, the uh, ability to play and where they are right now. So it may not be a perfect, uh, you know, correlation between the rankings and where they are, but uh, but USC is, is such an outlier in terms of the rankings not uh, of recruits don't match the rankings, you know, on the field. Yeah, the uh, so I think what you're referring to, there's 24-7 does a talent composite uh, index where – it doesn't look at the recruiting classes per se, because a lot of people leave. And we, I think, you know, we put in, uh, I put in my column and what Shotgun had, had talked about in the war room last week, it was upwards of about 25 guys that are no longer on the roster. So if you count just the recruiting classes, like you're, you know, that's a lot of guys that are missing, but the, it'll look at the roster as it's composed and it'll count up the number of three stars, four stars, five stars. And it's like, basically it's kind of like ranking the recruiting class, but it's everybody on your roster. So USC gets ranked number four in the country behind Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And you could say, well, recruiting rankings don't meet everything and stars, blah, blah, blah. But it's a pretty good indication of the top three teams are really freaking good. And USC is number four. And they should probably be pretty freaking good. And they're five and, well, yeah, five and six. They're not five and seven yet. I'm not going to I'm not gonna slip and say five and seven again. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> yeah. we don't know they they could upset Notre Dame. They have enough talent to upset Notre Dame because they have they got more talent than Notre Dame according to the index. You know, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it would. I mean, I and going back to the USC history, I, I sorry, uh, I look. You know, at what happens to uh, when they play back to back Notre Dame and USC, and I looked at the first uh, USC coach that lost to uh, uh, UCLA. And uh, was Don Kravitz, I guess, is, is his name. I think that was his first name. Anyway, in uh, 1950, he loses 
39 that, that USC team loses 39 to nothing to UCLA. And I mean, that was unheard of for UCLA to crush USC like that. The next week in the Coliseum, here comes Notre Dame. USC beats them nine to seven. It's like, how does that happen? So stuff like that does happen. I'm not saying it, it can't happen this week. Hey, like you said, right? USC's got technically more talent. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm, I'm among the, you know, people who keep saying USC has absolutely no chance. Crazy stuff happens. It's just the, the lack of physicality and the lack of, you know, the ability to just stay in there with people that play with power and physicality is, it makes it so difficult for USC. It just, you know, when teams line up and really come at you, I mean, UCLA did it with a bunch of, you know, young kids that nobody thought much of. And Notre Dame's got some players. I mean, you know, the quarterback now and the, the running back are really good. And they've become physical as heck. And, uh, you know, but I, I would I would tell people, you still might go to the game and see what happens. Crazy stuff happens. You just never know. All right. I think we're, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Got to head over to practice and uh, see what transpires. Because <laughs> who knows? Practice? Practice? Practicing for... We're talking practice? For the game, apparently. We're getting some... Uh, so it's funny. Keelan and I both tweeted out like that GoFundMe thing. So they've raised $3,500 already. Yep. Uh, which is insane. And apparently a, a full page ad in the LA Times costs like 20 grand or something. Is that right? Crazy. Uh, that seems insane too. No wonder that newspapers are struggling. Um, I don't wow. know why, like why, why would, well, if it's going to charge $20,000 for an ad, like I'm not paying that for, but anyway, but then we're getting some pushback for people who are like, well, you should like donate the money to fire victims. It's like, we didn't start this. This was completely a fan. Yeah. I'm uh, confused. Right. Are people mad at us? Cause we didn't do this. No. Someone's tweeting me like, well, why would a, you know, reputable media organization do that? I'm like, no, this is someone on our message board. We didn't like, we didn't start it. We didn't, mm. you know, it's just like amazing that it was, was happening. And it's tough, you know, people care about it. I think people given obviously a lot of money to fire victims and stuff too. You could draw a line at anything or like, why'd you go out to dinner? You should have just donated that money to the, you know, the fire victims and stuff. So I, I get what they're saying, but I mean, there's a lot of passionate fans that are really upset with what's going on here. Um, and they're they're I guess they're speaking with their pocketbooks right now or their wallets. I guess so. They don't do that that much. So I've never know. seen anything like this. Like someone tweeted me that, that they did a UCLA for Alford for, tw- they did two banners and, that didn't work, I guess, but yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, hold on. There's a, yeah. Some, I guess it's hard to f- fly those at night over a basketball arena. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It doesn't make, it doesn't have the same impact if you're inside Poly Pavilion and there's a plane flying overhead. Probably yeah. doesn't matter too much. I don't know. Well, they're, they're definitely going to get, there's going to be, there's, I've seen positive tweets and negative tweets from this, but it's like, I, I'm just shocked like that someone I didn't even know like so I got a tweet or a text from like someone at 24 seven about it about the GoFundMe thing and I guess I had missed it I didn't see it that they were talking about that and I was like what do you mean and so yeah so they just started up on the site and uh I mean that's that's where the fans are right now they are not happy with what's going on and it's and with Lin Swan not speaking out and we've reached out to try to talk to him and like Dan said it was more of a 
kind of a king speaking to his subject sort of situation when he went on the the you know USC radio and, and said what he had to say. He's not allowed he's, no no questions, nothing from anyone like us. So um, I get it; they're frustrated. Like they want to hear from him, um, and they haven't. And so they're they're trying to get their voice heard. I guess a lot of frustration, players, fans, you name it. Uh, Frustration is the name of this season, pretty much, I think. And uh, and, and you, you almost have to expect that it's going to break out. I mean, you hate to see it with the players doing some of the stuff they've done. And, you know, you're not crazy about you know, the fans doing some of this, but you got to kind of expect it and say, you know, hey, they, they feel that's the only way they can be heard. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, that's our good friend. Dan Weber on the line via Skype. Hi, Dan. <laughs> yes, it is. And we got Keely Yor here in studio. Hello. Hi, Keely. Are we doing an intro again? I like, just, what's you know, happening, I don't Ryan? Know. This is just the weird. This is I don't. I'm just. I don't Your even know where I am. Intro and outros. This this podcast it just wasn't been all interesting. My analogy game is good. My I just I'm I'm just baffled that like we're spent like spent a lot of time yesterday writing war room stuff, doing this go There's so many weird things going on. I thought with Clay Helton we were kind of over it. It's and USC though. It's USC. The it's madness just, continues. Just since you've been doing this, Keely, like you know, you <laughs> were you kiffing at all? No, I came. I came in right when Sark was hired. Okay, so but even like so, you missed some of the crazy stuff. Uh, yeah, I missed. I missed the real. But crazy there was real. No, I think Sark was the real. The, uh, crazy. Okay, because Sark was Josh Shaw too, right? Like yeah, yeah. Yeah, who just I, got I, signed by the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Apparently, I always laugh because when Josh Shaw happened, I was like, "Wow, I cra- I like I finally covered one crazy thing, and then <laughs> that was literally the start of it." Yeah, uh, but well, we'll see. That's just that's just that's our job covering USC. Uh, but thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition. We'll play that last voicemail to you for uh, from Jeff, uh, the math teacher in Fountain Valley. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey, gentlemen and lady Keeley, if you're listening. This is Jeff, the math teacher from Fountain Valley. Uh, I've been listening to the Parrot Style podcast since day one. Thank you for everything you guys do. I've emailed in several times over the years. This is my first time calling, and guess what I want to talk about? You're going to be shocked, Clay Helton. I've got a little bit of a different take, though. It seems like every single person who talks about Clay Helton always has this asterisk. But he's such a nice guy. Oh, but he's so genuine. He's a good guy. And uh, I'm just wondering, does a good guy lie straight to your face? Because uh, his little routine is wearing thin with me. I mean, how many times after uh, a terrible loss or a, a win that was uglier than it should have been, has he been asked questions and just given some crazy disingenuous answers, like 73 out of 74 snaps were perfect? I know they weren't. We were watching, not even close. Or... John Baxter is one of the best special teams coaches in the country. Uh, Let's try again on that one. And then my favorite, which we hear so many times. I mean, how many times after a game has he been asked about something that's not going well on the football field? And he has said, we're going to work on that. It's going to get better. We'll improve on that. Well, at some point, you're not just incorrect when you make those statements, Coach Helton. You're lying. Because you have no intention of improving those things. You're not making any effort towards improving those things. You're not making the choices that need to be made in order to improve on those things. You're not holding anybody accountable to change for the better. 
So Clay Helton, your nice guy act is, is running, is wearing thin with a lot of us and we're tired of it and we can see through it. And in a way it makes it a little bit more difficult for us because, you know, when Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian were being demonstrably bad football coaches, but they were also being demonstrably bad human beings, it was really easy to wish them uh, an unceremonious exit. Uh, with you, Clay Helton, I'm starting to feel a little bit better and better every week about wanting you to go. I wanted you to succeed when you started, but this has got to stop. We deserve better as fans. I mean, like many of uh, of the people listening to this, I'm an alumni, and I've been a fan since I was a kid. USC football is what made me love football. It's what made me love USC. And it's just I, – I, it's really hard to watch the state of the program right now, and uh, and we deserve better. So that's my take. Uh love to hear what you guys have to say about that. And finally, thank you, Sir Eric of Troy. What a refreshing voice. What a good job he did. Thanks for being so well-spoken and really enunciating a lot of the – thoughts and feelings of us out here so fight on everybody see you later you may have noticed that shopping at trader joe's is unlike shopping at other markets people ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices this is dan bain of trader joe's the answer is simple it's all in the way we do business we buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible this helps to keep our costs low and we pass those savings on to you no gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.